Are you ready to get into the mechanics of this? Wow, I said that really weird. <laughs> mechanics. Mechanics. Mechan- mecha- mechanic next X. Uh, I try to make that work. Mechanics. You just, you just get in the mechanics, man. <laughs> Can you give me a cleaner segue than that? <laughs> Can you get? Oof. Oh, we've seen better days, people. We've seen better days. We. Hello, and welcome to the Interstate Gamers Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, a.k.a. K-Slugs. My name is Peter, a.k.a. Deal for Real, and I'm also your host. Well, welcome everyone to the 37th episode and the 30th game review. We finally made it, man. The big 30. I've been advertising it for centuries now. Mm-hmm. I feel very old. Speaking of centuries, 30 <laughs> episodes. Holy mackerel. Oof. Um, but yeah, but we're not done yet either. Mm-mm. We've still got one more episode after this one for the season for you guys. So cool stuff there. We're not done, but. If you've been following along this far, you'll know that the last episode we reviewed is the iconic Ocarina of Time. Therefore, the question begs, my boy Pete boy, mm-hmm. what are we reviewing this time? We're reviewing Ocarina of Time 2, the hidden <laughs> sequel that no one knows about, only released in uh, South America. Oh, sweet. I actually, man, I'm excited for that game because <laughs> I've never <laughs> even heard of it myself. We are going to review, actually, actual review, TM one of the most significant indie games of our time, it is none other than Shovel Knight. Hell yeah. I, uh, you know, I've only heard about this game in passing, but I first encountered this particular character in Ukulele, where... Mm-hmm. You, in the very first level, you're like, oh, what the hell is Shovel Knight doing here? One of the many random things about ukulele that just kind of... <laughs> and then he's like, yo, yo, ho, yo, ho, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> yo, ho. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not what I imagined. But yeah. How about you? What What is your uh, encounters with this game? I think I started uh, really like learning about Shovel Knight maybe a year or so after it was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, its release date was in 2014, by the way. It got funded by a very successful Kickstarter campaign that had a bunch of fun uh, stretch goals. And uh, it was it was just getting a lot of good reputation. I was like, you know, I should probably play this game sometime. Uh, four-ish years later, here I am, uh, having played this game for the first time, um, along with you. And uh, I quite enjoyed it. There are some interesting things I think we'll get to talk about as we get into it here. I do want to give a little bit of the usual P-Willy context, though, if you'll allow it. Sure thing, man. It was developed by Yacht Club Games, uh, published by them as well, for the various consoles. It actually started out being on the Wii U, the PS Vita, and the Nintendo 3DS. But now it's on pretty much everything under the sun. Um, The director of Yacht Club Games is actually the former director of Way Forward, which is known for its Shantae series. Kind of a cult classic for the Game Boy Color that has been... uh, Revived in recent years, they have some games on the Wii U and Switch and probably some non-Nintendo stuff as well. But uh, Shantae series was a pretty big uh, cult classic, kind of like Metroidvania-ish kind of game. 
So uh, this guy, the director, he has a pretty solid uh, pedigree, if you will. And uh, speaking of solid pedigrees, the two composers for this game, for Shovel Knight, I learned, uh, one of them is a former composer at Capcom, and she actually worked on the original Mega Man soundtrack. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty crazy, and I think I think that'll become more connected to this review at large when we get into it, because there are some like similarities between this game and Mega Man, for sure. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, that's about all the game dev fun fact context I have. Those were some good ones, man. I learned a lot. Thanks, dude. So, what do you think about getting into the mechanics, Pete boy? I'm happy to do that as well. I have uh, many jobs on this show, and I do them all with pleasure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> ooh. Ooh. The mechanics in general. So, uh, as I said a few seconds ago, it's pretty similar to Mega Man in some ways, and the gameplay and the overall mechanics and game flow is definitely one of them. Uh, it's definitely a 2D side-scrolling platformer. It's, it's pretty simple as far as controls go and the different things that you can do as Shovel Knight, but we'll get into that in detail in the gameplay section. You travel across this world that's on a map kind of like Super Mario Bros. 3. There's a, another you know retro game connection for you. And you go around and you defeat these bosses in a kind of flexible way. You have to defeat a couple before you can advance to the next portion of the map. So there is some choice, and you know if you get frustrated on one level, you can just go to the next one and do whatever. Um, but there's also some villages and uh, challenges, like kind of bonus areas, and other encounters on the map as well. So there's always kind of some stuff going on on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty straightforward, really. It's uh, just, I-, I would say, just like pure platforming action at the heart of it all, but with yeah. some fun gameplay twists that we can talk about here in a sec. Yeah, I agree. And you don't have to play against every single night, right? I thought that you did, but I kind of was... I, my goal was always to do that, to, right. to defeat all of the main levels, so I wasn't really paying attention to if I actually needed to or not. Yeah. So uh, fact-checkers out there <laughs> can confirm whether or not yeah. you need to actually face all eight of the knights before you fight the final boss. Right. Well, uh, I guess I'll just kind of jump right into the gameplay. Um, I'm not going to lie. Starting out, I did not really like the mechanics. I believe I even told you that. Um they didn't feel at the very start. I was like, man, this is, this is it. Like, this is all I got to work with. Um, there, and there wasn't really a lot of explanation to the mechanics. Um, even though there are very little, like, you know, things to like perform, right? Right. You jump, you use your shovel. And then the one I didn't understand though was the one where like you jump and like you do your down aerial where basically you just hold down and you can like hit enemies that way and also jump off of them. Yeah. That wasn't explained at all. Also, the fact that you could save the game through those um, checkpoints, gumball machines. Yeah, the checkpoints—they look like gumball machines with like fire in them, lanterns, yeah, lamps, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> but basically, I was like, "Ooh, what are these? Like, is this something I could break?" And I kept breaking them to where I couldn't spawn. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> spawn from them. So, like, I, that wasn't explained at all. Um, but once you know, once I started figuring things out. Um, and as the game progressed, I actually grew to like the mechanics more. It made more sense that your initial powers and moves weren't that great. And as you progressed and unlocked other relics, um, basically powers, and other shovel moves to help you in your adventure, um, it made sense those things weren't as good as some of the other powers that you could use that helped you out in certain situations. Um, so I thought that was really nice because it was like you really up, you felt upgraded and like as you progressed, you know, 
you felt stronger and better. Not only that, but you you're used to the movement a little better. I agree. Yeah, I felt a I felt a similar way uh, as you did, which kind of reminds me of the way that I felt about ukulele as well. But this game, I think, did a better job of it than ukulele because like it's not really broken in the yeah. way that ukulele can be at times. Yeah. But ukulele, I definitely did not like the way the game felt at first, and then I I liked it more um, as I played. But Shovel Knight, I liked it from the get-go, and then liked it even more uh, once the game starts opening up for you, you know, with the power-ups, with the additional shovel moves. I do kind of want to mention the, the little down aerial thing, because I think it's one of the more interesting choices that they made. So you activate your little bouncing down aerial move by just pressing down while you're in midair, and you don't have to hold down. You can just press it, and then you will stay in that uh, attack like position, I suppose, until you either land or you do a midair swipe with your shovel. So when I first learned that, I would try to like stop doing my down air, and then I would think, why isn't it stopping? You know, I let go of the down button. Yeah. Eventually, I figured out how it works, and it kind of works out to your favor because there are some parts of the game that rely a lot, like just little chunks of level, where you will have to go around bouncing on things, and it helps to not have to be holding like diagonal down the whole time. And uh, I think it was cool how they kind of like made a little change like that that really was a good quality of life improvement once you learned how it actually works. Yeah, I actually didn't like it too much, um, I'll be honest, because... I there was times where like it would get me in more trouble than I, and they they even kind of designed the level to where it would like if you were just holding down or you like didn't pay attention you would kill yourself because yeah you're bouncing and the rocks would kill you so I I just I kind of liked that though <laughs> that's kind of what I liked about it. I like the fact that they made you more th- this game I think keeps you very conscientious about your movement because the jump also you don't jump very far um, and the game. Sometimes in negative ways, I think emphasizes that, but other times I think it works in the game's favor. Yeah. But yeah, between that and the the down aerial thing being counterintuitive, it definitely does make you like pay attention more to what your character is doing like on a on a more micro level, I think. Well, even like fighting bosses, you're like, "Oh, I could kill myself accidentally." And it's like you're so focused on the boss that like especially the end, right? You're just like, "Oh, I got to remember to swipe my shovel or else I'm going to lose my ground here. Um, but I don't know. I didn't like the jump either because, because it wasn't very far. And then like <laughs> he just stopped abruptly in midair, which is a very old style of um, jumping kind of like old super Mario bros. You don't have any aerial drift. So it's kind of just like, er, er, you just felt like jumping felt so clunky. It just felt so up and down and you hardly went in anywhere. So it was kind of weird. I will say for the, for the sake of the fact checkers out there, I'm pretty sure that that's more of a Mega Man type of thing. Okay, I wasn't actually sure. Yeah, yeah, Mega Man definitely has that hard stop and like stop and start aerial drift thing. Yeah, this one's um, super abrupt. It's like as soon as you let go, you fall straight down. Yeah, I think I can see how how that type of treatment wouldn't be to everyone's satisfaction. I do kind of like how different games handle it differently, so that not every game feels the same. Sure, um, but it's definitely like. Valid to have preferences, and and for me, I still prefer the uh, the Super Mario World number two greatest game of all time <laughs> uh, controls and like game feel over this. But I definitely appreciate the slight change in like the way you play the game that it that it encourages. Should have been more like Celeste. Why can't games jump more like Celeste? Yeah, interesting because Celeste is also a uh, a very critically acclaimed indie game yeah. that takes some 
not nearly as much retro inspiration as Shovel Knight does, because Shovel Knight is like very, very much, you know, 8-bit plus kind of thing, um, which I probably should have mentioned earlier. Uh, <laughs> Shovel Knight very much like kind of a an updated 8-bit style game, and that's very clearly what they're going for. Yeah. I would say the game reminds me more of uh, Cave Story than it does uh, Celeste. Yeah, it's very it's very pixely still. Yeah. And uh yeah. Kind of a similar game to Cave Story. I would say if you liked one, you might like the other. Yeah. I think that would be pretty safe to say. I was actually talking to Katie and we were um I was saying, you know, despite them being similar, I think I'd rather play Cave Story. In terms of gameplay, like just how the game feels, it it feels a lot better. And she kind of agreed cuz she played a little bit of the uh, Shovel Knight co-op with me and uh she got pretty frustrated with the jump because it wasn't easy to place her character. Yeah. So she just kept dying over and over and over again. And so she's like, ah, I'll just watch you play. So I think that's one thing that could be criticized here. Um, I, I might have a lot of trouble with people who aren't as, um, they don't play video games as much or video games that require a lot of accuracy like that. Yeah. We're seasoned vets, obviously, not to toot our own <laughs> horn, but we've, we play video games for the sake of fun and knowledge and uh, integrity and integrity honor. and honor, and not many people do. So um, it might be hard for people to get into it, at least uh, newcomers. I agree. I do think that overall, I was really happy with the level of difficulty. I think a huge part of this is the fact that there are no game overs. Yeah, you. Uh, your your punishment for dying is losing some amount of the treasure, like the the gold, if you will, that you collect throughout the course of the level. But when you lose it, it floats up in these little bags that you can collect on your next run through. It's a pretty mild punishment, and you never have to start a level from the very beginning, uh, which is a huge frustration when I was playing Mega Man X, for example. <laughs> like that game is very difficult in the way that you know you only have a certain number of times before you're booted back to the beginning. Yeah, uh, Shovel Knight is not like that, and uh, thank God. And even so, like just it, it's just not as difficult on its own. Like the platforming isn't as precise, the bosses aren't as crazy. Like things are just pretty reasonable, I think. And uh, I never felt too frustrated. I never felt like I needed to step away from the game and like <laughs> come back to it later. Yeah, I was just kind of able to play through it. And and I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty good you know, platforming game player, because that's what I grew up on. But I feel that many, you know, gamers who enjoy this kind of game would probably feel a similar way that I do, unless your experience was totally different. Yeah, I, I agree as well. If you like 2D platformers, um, you like Cave Story, you like Celeste, you're probably going to like this game. This, uh, I would say the game, this game appealed to me in a different sense that I'm going to mention later on. But... Um, Definitely over time, I, I grew to like it a lot more, especially when I got to utilize different powers. It wasn't just jumping on platforms and then making variations of harder jumping mechanics when the jumping mechanic already kind of I didn't like. So yeah. I'm glad it wasn't the only point of emphasis of the game. And yeah, I do really like the um, that you can have the opportunity to get your money back. And then you could also get an armor to like, Soften the blow, and which is the, the the armor I use the entire time. I don't know about you. I used that one for a good chunk of the game. The that's the red one, I believe. Yeah. But then I started using the silver one, which whenever you bounce on an enemy twice, you immediately get a charged um, shovel swipe available to you. Yeah. Which I found was really really good for the bosses, especially in the later part of the game. Yeah, I I thought about getting that one, but I was like, I just I don't want to lose my money. 
I do want to briefly talk about the items. I think one interesting thing is that for the most part, I feel that they're quite optional with the exception of a few of them. Like there's one that sort of lets you fly across small distances and that one, I think that one may be literally required in some later areas, but I'm not too sure. But for the most part, I played the game hardly using the items at all. And they, they felt just kind of not important to me, but I did appreciate them being there. I think mm, I think that was required, and I'm not too sure, but I think it was only required on the optional levels, if that makes sense. I think you might be right. But you didn't have to beat those levels. But yeah, I didn't get all the relics. Did, did you get all the relics? I did, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, what do you have anything left for the gameplay? Because I'm kind of, I kind of talked about everything. I have also talked about everything. Cool. Let's give it a rating then. Um, I'll start out and I'll say that I gave it the double eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Dang, you actually gave it higher than me. I gave it an eighty-five. Oh, that's I would not that. have expected that. <laughs> I actually wouldn't have either. <laughs> uh, you know, I came to like it more and more, and uh, I know starting out, I probably would have given it something more along those lines, but. To that effect, you get you either give it an 85 or a 90, so it's kind of in the same range. Yeah. I didn't love the gameplay as much as a game like Celeste, and granted, they're pretty different games right. besides some surface-level stuff. But yeah, I think there are some like game-feel elements that could have been improved. Really, um, I was thinking about this point before we start recording, and I want to mention it briefly, um, and it's about the jump thing. And there are some parts of the game where you have to like walk or run to the very edge of the platform and then jump to make it to the other side and like you know make sure that you're holding down the jump button to get the maximum vertical height as well. Yeah. And it's just like I just think that's not a fun type of challenge. Like I would rather be challenged in terms of paying attention to other things on the screen or like timing or well I guess this is timing but just that particular thing of like oh for this jump you have to jump from the last possible pixel and make sure to hold your jump all the way down. Like, I just don't like that. Yeah. And uh, there's some parts of the game, they're not frequent, thankfully, but some parts of them do exist, and that's just, like, a really dumb frustration that nags at me. So yeah. <laughs> if that didn't exist, I think I would have given it a 90. But even though that's a pretty small thing, I think there's just a few other little, like, optimizations here and there. There there are, for sure. I, I thought the same thing about some particular areas. I think they focused on it being too precise with their platforming, Especially towards the end, it was just kind of like, okay, come on, like, this is like intense platforming. I don't, I don't want to just jump around. Every, like, I get jumping's a big mechanic, but like, I was just like, come on now. Like, I just, I just want to go. Yeah. Um, so it kind of destroyed the pace a little bit, but I, I, I get what you're saying. There are some areas where it's like, this is way too precise. Like, why is this, you know? Anyway, moving on to, uh, everyone's favorite section. Aesthetics. Aesthetics. Um, so visuals, Pete Boy, why don't you hit us up with those visuales? Absolutely, my dude. So yeah, 8-bit uh, plus is the quickest way to possibly <laughs> describe this game, I think. Right. Um, it, I think it does a pretty faithful job with some exceptions of, uh, of recreating that NES-type vibe. The, the biggest like non-faithful uh, elements, I guess you could say, are the color palettes. Yeah. Back in the NES era, like games could only display so many colors on screen at a time, probably like eight or even fewer, maybe. But nowadays, it's not a problem. So that's like one way in which they differ. Um, and also a few little like special effects and like camera shaking things yeah. here and there. Um, but otherwise, like it looked very, very charmingly 
like an NES game with uh, animation styles that sometimes were detailed and sometimes not yeah. in a way that felt actually pretty authentic despite the inconsistency or probably because of the inconsistency. Yeah. And even the, the amount of detail and drawings, like some of the backgrounds were kind of plain, but some of them were really detailed. And then the sprites and the other objects in the foreground were like kind of a medium level detail, like definitely something reasonable that you could probably have seen back in the day. Um, and I, I'm not an NES expert, and I don't think you are either, just from what I know about our gaming pasts. But it, it does a pretty good job at like at evoking that, and I think it's really, really pretty. Yeah, I actually wrote that it's like a very old classic NES, SNES feel. So it's like it kind of has a mixture of both elements in there. So it was like inconsistent at times as to what it wanted to be in terms of visuals. But it, it did look... It, it was nice at some times, and it was like, oh, this is really visually pleasing. Um, yeah. All the levels felt different, which, you know, is something we talk about a lot. Um, your environment and the levels being different, being unique, um, it doesn't feel like you're in the same area the whole time. Yeah. And also the levels being immersive, where you feel like you're in a different area. That, that's that, Those are all good things that this game accomplishes. I wouldn't say that it's like the most beautiful game ever in my eyes, but it definitely accomplishes the feel that it was going for. I totally agree. One, one thing I often talk about with games like this is how, how easy it is to quote-unquote read the level, like the background versus the foreground. Yeah. I do think this game struggles with that at times. There are some environments, and I'm not sure I can name them off the top of my head, but like some of the, some of the darker, more indoor-type levels, sometimes the background will look kind of like the foreground or vice versa, which can be a little tricky. And uh, sometimes there's like water or rain effects, especially near the end of the game, that are just very, very bright and animated and detailed. And it kind of makes it hard to see what you're doing, which might have been part of the challenge, but also just feels like kind of a, uh, what's the word? Gimmick? Kind of like an oversight. Like, oh, we made the background oh. too pretty and too... It's like playing on Final Destination and Smash Ultimate. Yeah. Or uh, Smash 4. Smash like, just, 4, There's yeah. so much shit going on. Um, not, not quite that bad, but uh, it's just like one one kind of nitpick that I have at, at some times, not the whole time. On that topic, could they not do the lightning thing like in the level? <laughs> could they please just not? like that, that was so dumb. I was like, really? I can't see at all, and I'm just waiting on these flashes of light to do something. I'm sure that mechanic was really cool when I was first invented like 25 years ago, but right. it's, uh, it's not great. I mean, I think a good example of, or like a better way to do that is the uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns like sunset levels where you can see just all the silhouettes all the time. So it's not really like a gameplay challenge, it's just a stylistic thing. Yeah. I think that's a cooler way to do it. Yeah, there are some areas where it's like completely dark and you're like, okay, I'm just having to navigate and I can only see the outline of them or I can't see it all and I'm waiting on a flash of light to just happen. And it's like, <sighs> but somehow I made through it. So Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the type of challenge that these older games that this is styled after what they're at you. You know, like they were not shy about doing stuff that you might call bullshit or even, or even I might call bullshit. Like I didn't struggle with it too much, but it's not, it's not really the most fun type of challenge by a long shot. It's not fun. Yeah. While it might go into gameplay a little bit, it was a, I guess a visual effect they used, but yeah, I, it was very charming in a way uh, to go back to that. Um, it, it had like this feel that was like old school, but at the same time, I don't know. It felt very, it felt very warm and inviting. Like this world that you're in, like it, it felt like, 
you know, like, man, I really like this universe they've built for Shovel Knight, which I didn't expect from this game. I didn't expect <laughs> there to be all the stuff in the game. Yeah. So kind of cool. I thought it was just going to be level after level, and I was going to, like, uh, but having the overworld and like the other places that you could go and talk to villagers and stuff and them having personality and you can visually see like them dancing and stuff like it it just had a certain charm to it that was really nice i think the character design in this game is really strong yeah and especially the the other knights the order of no quarter they are called <laughs> i thought their designs were all really really cool probably the best designs in the whole game were uh were those eight characters which makes sense cuz they're you know main uh, villains but they were all very, very different from each other, and they all kind of like matched their environments in a very cohesive way. Yeah, and uh, and they had personalities as well, which we can talk about maybe in content. But their their designs, I thought, were fantastic. Yeah, I like the townspeople; they're my favorite. Yeah, the, I like the horse person and the deer lady <laughs> and the uh, and the people like in the bar underground that are just kind of chilling, and one of them's like the. The kind of like moping girl in the corner who plays a mini game with you, and she's like, "Oh, fine, go ahead." <laughs> yeah, sure, you play this thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I love the cutscene of uh, King Trouple. Trouple. Oh my gosh, yes, but it kind the of little dancing scene. It kind of lasts way too long, but yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty nice. That's like the most NES thing ever. I feel like those those animations and the way that little dance thing that yeah. just felt very very NES to me in a good way. It's it like, was kind of long, but you only have to watch it once. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, uh, you got anything else for visuals? I do. Uh, one more thing, which is that there's a neat little option in the visuals, <laughs> the visuals uh, section of the option menu that I believe enables you to disable some of the more jarring uh, visual effects in the game. Actually, that that crazy like green rain thing I mentioned is not one of those, and I saw a Reddit post where someone requested that they have a feature to turn that down because of their epilepsy. And the Oof. developer was like, yeah, we, we'll definitely like look at that in the future because we didn't think about that particular thing. This option, which I haven't used because I don't really have the need for it, uh, does tone down some things like that. Maybe not the example I just said, but other things in the game for sure. And I think that was a really cool touch on their part to like... Because, you know, like playing video games, if you have any sort of epilepsy, can definitely be uh, a hit or miss sort of thing, yeah. from what I understand. And for them to take that extra step is really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Good on them, Yacht Club. Games. <laughs> Yacht Club. Well, uh, if that about does it for you, uh, why don't you go ahead and give your rating for Visualis? My score for Visualis is a hot, fresh 90. 90. Okay. I went on the lower end of that and I said an 83. Don't think it's too strong, but I think it's, it's, it's solid and, uh, does, does the job and it's charming. So I thought that score was very indicative of what I, what I thought about it. I agree. It wasn't mind blowing, but it's kind of hard to be mind blowing if you're sticking to the the eight bit plus thing so much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, moving on to the audio, um, I will say that the audio is fire. The soundtrack is bumping, bangers. The sounds of the games are rocking. I love everything about the audio in this <laughs> game. Um, it's really good. Uh, and and knowing that fact that you told us earlier that that uh, the composer is one of the composers from the Mega Man game, it it, it makes sense um, now. But uh, man, I really loved the style of music of this game. I I'm I know I'm pretty partial to the chip tune style music, but I still I still think this game killed it. 
Uh, I think it fit with the game perfectly, all the nuances of all the sounds. I mean, it's just it's a really good game in terms of audio. I agree, man. I uh, I do think this music is better than the music from Mega Man X, which I'm saying I'm saying mostly in case our good friend Matt is listening because <laughs> uh, he. I'm I'm not sure what he'll think of that comment. Actually, I'm not sure if he's played Shovel Knight. He needs to. Yeah, the the songs are really well composed as well. It's not just the chiptune aesthetic that makes them good. It's like the actual writing of the music. I found it to be very interesting. Um, it sounded very. Uh, and again, I'm not an NES or 8-bit era expert, really, but it sounded quite faithful as well. But it sounded like they were definitely taking full advantage of what that type of sound chip could do back in the day, and really incorporating it fully and thoughtfully into the music and also the sound effects. I do think the sound effects, of course, are not necessarily interesting because they are, uh, you know, like limited by <laughs> by the style that they're going for. But they were still very satisfying. And I especially love like when they try to do ambient sounds like crickets chirping and it's like trr, trr, trr. <laughs> and like the sound of the wind, like that white noise, like yeah, I thought like I just there's something about that sound in particular that I just love. And like, I want to use that in some of my music someday because it's just such a cool sound. <laughs> um, maybe not the most like revolutionary sound effects because again, they're working on this uh, template really. But they, I think they did an amazing job, and the music is straight banging fire. I agree. Yeah, I think I have some nostalgia for the the sounds of like kind of like that stuff because I, I love those sounds, like Pokemon sounds, like from like Gen One and Two. Man, yeah. those get me every time. And it's kind of cool because that kind of game is being made in a modern era where they can do like 50 different songs and sounds and like you wouldn't be able to fit all of that into NES or SNES cartridge back in the day. So it's kind of like you get all this great music that goes along with this game and it's just it's really cool to see. Yeah, it doesn't suffer from the limitation of the sound chip only yeah. being able to play like four notes at a time because exactly. like that, that's a problem that just plagues all these old games like. Pikachu will make its cry and then the baseline of the track will cut out for like five seconds. <laughs> and in this game, of course, you don't have that problem. So uh, that, that's a good way in which it wasn't 100% faithful for sure. Yeah, there's a YouTube video out there that um, goes in depth of how they did Pikachu's sound and how they made it sound as good as they possibly could. It's a really good, uh, it's a really good uh, watch if any of you are interested. I'll post the link to it on the Twitter. But anyway... Are you ready to give your rating for audio? I am, but since you started off, I will let you go first. All right, you're going to be quite surprised with this score, I think. I gave it a 98. Dang, dude. Uh, I'm, I'm not so surprised, given how you framed it. Yeah. Um, and, your, and your nostalgia for that type of sound. You have more nostalgia for that than I do, actually. Yeah. Because I, I grew up with like the SNES and n- no Game Boy. I did not have a Game Boy for a long time. Uh, anyway, my score is a 95. So not far behind, just just short of perfect, I think. I'm not sure what could have made it perfect, but I think there's just a little special spice. Yeah, you know? I kind of agree. Nothing will compare to Ocarina of Time, as we know. <laughs> I agree. But also, I, I think I'd be down to listen to this music like in the car, you know, just to get I, myself pumped for, for the work day or for a night out or whatever. It's, it's yeah. quite fire. We still sometimes listen to the Cave Story music. Anyway, moving on to everyone's perhaps favorite section, Cone Tent. Cone Tents. So, Pete Boy, why don't you uh, hit us off for the last section? 
Absolutely. So, of course, before I started playing the game, I hit up my favorite uh, website, who definitely does sponsor us, and they are called <laughs> HowLongToBeat.com. And that website told me that a normal playthrough would take about eight hours, which felt pretty accurate to me. There's a good amount of content for sure, given the uh, given the price of the game. I would say it's not a full sixty dollars AAA title, but I do think you get good value for uh, for what you pay for, because you got the eight main levels, which. Uh, they're a good length. They're not too long, not too short, I don't think. And uh, you got, of course, all the bonus levels. And you also have, like, challenges, kind of like event matches in Smash Brothers, just little yeah. standalone challenges you can play for fun, which I started doing today. And they just, they seem they seem fun so far. Nothing nothing critical. I feel like if I didn't play them, I wouldn't feel like I was missing a huge, yeah. you know, valuable portion of the game. But it's there, and it uh, does extend the amount of time you can play. And, of course, you got co-op, which... Uh, is there anything you want to talk about since you played co-op with Katie a bit? Yeah, so we played co-op, and the fact that uh, Katie didn't enjoy co-op too much, probably I don't have a whole lot to say, um, but it is interesting in that... Uh, did you play it at all? I did not. Okay. Well, when you face a boss, it actually doubles their health. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you kind of have to work together to beat the enemies, and... I, there's things just like little nuances like that throughout um, the game that you have to watch out for. Um, and they get all of your same powers. Um, if you die, it's kind of like a, a Mario kind of thing where like if you die, they can wait for you to come back, but they have to stay alive or Donkey Kong uh, tropical freeze thing. Yeah. So like you can respawn, but when you respawn, you take a little bit of the other person's health. Oh, that's interesting. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It doesn't make the game easier. I think they went out of their way to uh, make that the case. But um, since she didn't enjoy really the jumping of the game, we only played through like a level. I think we beat, what's his name? Black Knight. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we didn't do too much there. But it, it was fun. And I think it could be fun with the right person. Yeah, it sounds, from what you describe, it definitely sounds like both players need to be sort of equal skill or one yeah. person just needs to be godlike and carry the other person. <laughs> Pretty much, and uh, and and if the other person's dying, it's not gonna it's not gonna be good for you know the other person because they keep losing health if they're respawning. So it's it's actually not too great. Like you you kind of do want to be on the same level at least remotely. Yeah. Um, but getting back to the content in general, I actually love all there is to do in this game. In fact, I would say that it's uh, what got me hooked on the game. At first, I was kind of like, eh, okay, but then I got to the the town. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I started talking to people because I kind of like this stuff. Yeah. And I noticed that there's more like content to the game and like relics and things you can unlock. So I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And so I started like, I started getting hooked on like beating different bosses or like unlocking um, different like shovel powers or uh, looking for the next armor or getting all the music notes. Um, yeah. I just, I thought that was really cool. You know, I like collecting things. So. I think there's a ton of things to do in this game, and there's extra levels to play. And so I've played every level. Um, I just I thought it was really cool. Um, there's, yeah, like you said, challenge mode. Um, you can even get an amiibo that does stuff. I I I tried some of my amiibos; they didn't work. So I guess you have to have a shovel nine amiibo. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I'm actually considering uh, buying because they are releasing a pack of three this year. On December 31st, so literally the last day of the year, pack of three Shovel Knights amiibos will come out. It's Spectre Knight, 
Um, shoot, what's the guy who throws bombs? Plague Knight. Plague Knight and King Knight. They'll all be available on December 31st. So it's kind of cool. Hype. Hype. Yeah, and if you get the expansion pack, you can also play as uh, the game as different characters who have drastically different moves and like even a different storyline. Yeah. Um, which which adds a lot to the game. So if you're if you like the base game and you want to add a little bit more spice to it, uh, definitely look into the expansion pack. I think you could just get the expansion pack if you buy the Switch version on the eShop. I'm I'm not sure exactly how this is distributed nowadays. Um, I'm because I'm not totally clear on like when these expansion packs came out. I just know it was you know after the release of the original, of course. Um, but I'm pretty sure that like wherever you buy Shovel Knight nowadays, you'll get the Treasure Trove pack. Yeah, which includes the base game and then two additional campaigns: one for Plague Knight, which I started and seems pretty fun so far, and uh, one for Spectre Knight. And now there is more stuff on the way that has been unfortunately delayed, but I'm sure it's going to be great when it hits us. Yeah, we got a King Knight campaign on the way, and then we also got a Shovel Showdown or Shovel Knight Showdown, which is going to be a versus mode, which I think will also be potentially pretty cool. Huh? Yeah, that is pretty cool. I will say. Specter Knight is is a badass man. He is really cool. You should try playing with him a little bit. Yeah, I uh, as I said, I did a little bit of Plague Knight, but I didn't want to get too into it because I was like, yeah, we're, we're mostly going to review the the base game because I'm sure their gameplay is different enough to where like you know some things we talked about wouldn't necessarily apply or they wouldn't apply in the same way. So for those of you listening, this is definitely a review of the base game, but. There's there's definitely some fun expansion to be had for sure. Yeah, it's kind of like our Age of Empires review. I mean, there's elements of um, expansion in that, so it's it's definitely. You know, I think a lot of our listeners will accidentally, like me, will not accidentally, but they'll buy the whatever the treasure trove. Yeah, I do want to. Speaking of like the the base game, so to speak, I do want to talk about the plot as well. Um, it's not. Too crazy of a plot. It's pretty standard. Uh, it, it opens up with a fun little cutscene about you and your friend Shield Knight questers who would go on adventures together. But then Shield Knight got kidnapped or uh, taken over by this like enchanted medallion that's turned her into the Enchantress, who now is kind of evil and rules the world. Although things don't seem to be too terrible in the world, so I guess that's good. But she's still <laughs> definitely in her tower, like you know, making shit all dark and spooky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. So you go out with a goal of, you know, defeating her and then hopefully turning her back to her original self. And on the way, of course, you have the bosses, the Order of No Quarter, who uh, they serve to prevent you from getting to her. And Black Knight does as well, but Black Knight doesn't work for the Enchantress. He just has his own motivation, which actually is revealed at the end of the game in a pretty cool way, I think. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I think like the, the, the plot, as simple as it is, it definitely gets more interesting near the end when you learn more about Black Knight and his connection yeah. to you and Shield Knight. And um, even throughout the game, when you when you encounter the bosses, sometimes there's some banter where Shovel Knight's like, because Shovel Knight does talk. Uh, he yeah. definitely has like some personality. He'll, he'll make some reference to how the knights used to work together or how he used to work with them. Yeah. And I kind of I wish it got into that more. Like, oh, like I wonder if there's some cool backstory that the game doesn't show or if this is kind of all that they wrote or whatever. But I think it is more interesting the more that you play. And and like more interesting than I would have expected at the beginning. I agree. Yeah, I didn't expect it to have too much story, um, but it had more story than I expected. And uh, yeah, having all those interactions was really cool as well. 
I think, like you said, going for the NES style, um, perhaps it limited the amount of interactions. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was really, it was really surprising to see all that stuff take place. I, I thought the, the boss, the final boss battle with the Enchantress was actually, uh, lacked a little bit of creativity. I thought, I didn't think she was like the most crazy, outrageous boss. I thought it was fairly creative, but less difficult than I was hoping for. Yeah, maybe it's that, but... Yeah. One thing that's pretty funny, uh, speaking of final boss type of things, is that as I was getting to the end of the game, I was like, I wonder if this game's going to do the Mega Man thing where you have to run a gauntlet of all the bosses. Nah, probably not. It's not as bullshit as Mega Man. (laughs) And then you... And this is really funny, actually. You kind of crash into this, like, Last Supper kind of scene where all the all the knights are eating together, except for Black Knight because he's you know doing whatever. But then they're all like, "Oh, we'll get him!" And I was like, "Fuck me, are you serious?" But <laughs> even then, it keeps it manageable because it gives you a full health refill after every one. Yeah, I mean, if you die, you do have to start over, but at least it gives you health between. And uh, I managed to do it without dying, so I was pretty happy that I didn't have to uh, retrace my steps in that regard. But uh, that was just pretty funny, like. All the inspiration it takes from Mega Man, and I was like, shit. But then I was like, oh, no, no shit. It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they make it a little bit easier, too. They're not as complex in their their difficulty. Yeah, maybe so. Because they don't want to just like frustrate you endlessly at the, <laughs> at the very end, because no one likes that. It's like, really? I've already beaten all these guys. This is no surprise. And I think they knew that. Yeah. Because I, that's one of the things that like I didn't want to finish Mega Man for. I was like, Nah, I'm okay. I already faced all of those people. Um, I really liked all the content. I think it's definitely one of those short and sweet games that you can come back to and accomplish something different each time that you play it. Um, so I think that's really cool. They even put like a speed run, uh, record at, in the credits. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, that's really cool. I like that they acknowledge that. I wonder how they update that. Is it like every time they send out an update, or does it like connect to the internet? Yeah, I was wondering that too. I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it just connects to the internet, just like without telling you. Yeah, because I mean, once every update would be like once every year at yeah, the, that at would the be, most. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a long time. So the last comment I have is about the customization options, because you guys know that I love that ish dearly. Um, so this game did something interesting, and this came out in an update uh, I was reading before we recorded. But the ability to swap the genders of the main characters was something really interesting that I totally did not expect. And uh, it's just a simple item in the customization screen where you have a toggle basically for the for the sprites uh, gender of every character, male and female, but also the pronouns that people refer to them as. And if you if you like keep up with um, the talk about you know gender identity and all that stuff nowadays, it's like it's very much a very inclusive gesture that I thought was cool. Yeah, and actually, there was a pretty cool blog post I found where they went in detail about all of those main characters and like the design decisions they made. Like, we want to make this one too feminine, but this one could be really feminine because it kind of matched how flamboyant the male version was and all this stuff. So, uh, definitely some interesting reading, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I actually noticed that and was going to talk about that, but I kind of forgot. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned it, but I actually didn't notice too much of a difference in Shovel Knight. I think I changed mine to a girl. And uh, I didn't notice any difference from then on, so I just kind of didn't bother with it after then. So I was wondering if you noticed any differences. Yeah, Shovel Knight, uh, the female version has smaller horns and also just uh. kind of like a slimmer frame. Some other characters, like the uh, 
the very extravagant propeller knight who's like very flashy with his sword and everything like because yeah. the male version is so flashy they made the f- the female version very like curvaceous and sexy and so I was like oh that mm-hmm. makes sense because it matches the character but I definitely like wanted to see what the male version of shield knight looked like so I went and like did the final battle with the male shield knight and uh and the enchanter as well the male version of the enchantress was pretty neat to see huh I should have played with that more um it's just, I think, and I think a lot of people might have this problem too. If they see Shovel Knight, then nothing like really changed. They're going to be like, oh, I probably don't want to mess with it. And I mean, it's kind of, it's a little tougher than games where like the sprites could be bigger and other art styles and like the characters are all wearing armor. They have to get creative with it. And with Shovel Knight being not that big of a change, I definitely see what you mean about it. And like, yeah, being discouraging, so to speak. Yeah. Well, that about does it for me on content. How about you? For me as well. All right. Well, uh, why don't you give your score? I gave a hot, fresh 9-0. 9-0? I'm very similar in that aspect. I got a, I gave it a 93. So we're pretty close uh, in terms of scores here. I'm interested to see what we come out with in the end. Um, on that note, I guess we'll do our number crunching. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Hello, all you kings and queens and other royalty out there guillotines. thank you so much for uh do you say guillotines <laughs> yeah it's a aerosmith <laughs> song kings queens and guillotines yeah it's a pretty neat title I mean, i'm gonna listen to that track see if it's as banger as this game soundtrack um but anyway we're here to talk about the numbers obviously <laughs> and i will start with a summary of mine my gameplay score was an 85 my visuals was a 90 90 my audio was a 95 which means that my aesthetics Comes out to a 92.5. And then finally, good old content, we have a 9-0. So the P-Will, Deal for Real official score is 89.2. Mm, nice. Um, my scores were gameplay 88, um, visuals 83, audio 98, which brought my aesthetic score to a 90.5. Then my content was a 93. All this together brought my overall to a 90.5. So it's the same as my aesthetic score, which I thought was pretty interesting. And that brings our IG score to an 89.8. So in terms of our IG score and where it ranks, it's at 14th out of 30. Interesting that such a good game is right smack dab in the middle of our uh, our range of ratings. <laughs> I know. We've, re- we've reviewed so many good games. So hopefully season four will just be a shit show of terrible games. Yeah, shovelware. Oh, shovelware. That's a fun pun. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. But yeah, no, pretty interesting. Um, so some kind of games that are it's in the area of, um, right below it is Metroid Zero Mission, and right above it is Roller Coaster Tycoon. That sounds about right to me. Yeah, I remember Roller Coaster Tycoon being up there back in the day, and now it's kind of it's it's kind of fallen in the ranks. Some of some of these rankings are pretty interesting. So if you're interested to seeing and seeing what like all of this is looking like, uh, you can go to our website, um, theigcast.com, and you can view all our rankings. And it, if you it shows it in a nice way um, that you're able to see all the rankings and like our breakdowns of what we rated things. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, Kevin did a great job of adding that to the site in a way that uh, for those who are detail oriented like ourselves. If you want to get into the minutiae, you can definitely do that. Um, also, just check out the IGcast.com 
anyway, just for the other cool stuff that Kevin put on there, because uh, we announced last episode, I believe, the launch of our website, mm-hmm. and uh, we are really happy with it. And Kev is the one who was definitely driving that uh, driving that car there. So yeah, good job, Kev. And I hope that you guys enjoy the site and all its goodness. Speaking of our online presence, we have the IG Twitter account as always, the IG underscore cast. We have Instagram as well, which I think is the same handle, probably. Uh, yes. You know, you caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. IG is not where uh, the majority of our efforts are focused. <laughs> ironically enough. Yeah, ironically enough. <laughs> um, but if you want to see some cool visuals, you can go there as well. Facebook, we're technically speaking on there, but uh, Twitter is really the place you want to hit us up. Yeah. As far as listening goes, of course, we have uh, pretty much everywhere, so yeah. And uh, as always, we encourage you guys to write in any questions you might have, whether it be via Twitter or to our email address, theinterstategamers at gmail.com. If you want to shout at us, if you want to whisper sweet nothings, whatever you want to do, we're here, man. We are here for you. Yes, indeed we are. Um, And shout-outs to all our patrons, um, my beautiful fiancé, Katie Davis. Mallory Sutton, Ryan Everett, Seth Webb, Simon Webb, the bros, and uh, our good boy Z-Link. Thanks for supporting us, guys. Um, you definitely help us. You you keep this podcast going, and we definitely appreciate the support. But I think that's going to do it for us, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, as always, love you too. Love you too. Love you too.